0: today on Ag News Daily.
1: What happens if the market, average market price is 5% below what you put in there and see the reaction to that? Because the answers to those questions will key the sense of urgency that you have
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. And today's episode is brought to us by Granular and more specifically Granular Insights, which we'll continue that discussion here coming up in just a little bit. But I am joined today by my co-host, Ashton Carr. Ashton, how was your weekend?
2: It was really great. I honestly was kind of not looking forward to working on Monday just because my weekend felt super short. And then you texted me Sunday night at like 8.30 p.m. And you were like, well, there's not going to be a podcast tomorrow just to let you know. So it was a great little surprise. But I am glad to be back on the podcast. Yes, I forgot
0: yesterday. Well, I didn't forget, but it kind of I kind of spaced on markets being closed yesterday until about sunday afternoon and i thought i should probably let you know that we won't be having a podcast
2: yeah it was a pleasant little surprise i guess you know just an extra day to the weekend but after the weekend there's really not too much going on in the world of agriculture at least not much that i've seen what about you delaney
0: well, you know, just because the U.S. markets weren't open yesterday doesn't mean that other world markets weren't. We saw the Chinese Dalian corn futures skyrocket yesterday. Uh, we also see saw the Paris wheat milling futures higher on its seventh consecutive day. So, other markets were trading substantially higher. We also had news that South America got some timely rains and that pushed soybean prices lower today, as well as some funds exiting long positions, not majorly exiting yet. But we did see some of that play out in the marketplace today. And, you know, we've also got a transitioning administration. We're going to see President-elect Joe Biden Uh, head into office tomorrow start his term as president and so that's been weighing into the marketplace as well but uh yeah other than that really those are the those have been the big things i've been watching lately ashton and i guess those aren't any small things by any means
2: well delaney another thing going on tomorrow besides inauguration day is some new improvements and implementations into the Livestock Risk Protection Insurance Plan from the USDA, RMA, whatever you want to you call it. And the RMA administrator, Martin Barber, was quoted as saying, we are always looking for feedback from producers and other stakeholders. These changes are a direct reflection of that feedback and will improve LRP coverage for producers in 2021 and beyond. The improvements to LRP include increasing livestock head limits for feeder and feed cattle to 6,000 head per endorsement, 12,000 head annually, and swine to 40,000 head per endorsement, 150,000 head annually, modifying the requirement to own insured livestock until the last 60 days of the endorsement, increasing the endorsement lengths for swine up to 52 weeks, and creating new feeder cattle and swine types to allow for unborn livestock to be insured. And again, these new implementations take effect on January 20th,
0: tomorrow. Oh, yes, that is tomorrow. Lots of lots of things happening tomorrow, Ashton, that we should probably be aware of, huh?
2: Yes. And I'm really excited, to be honest. I also start grad school tomorrow. So I feel like tomorrow's just going to be a real busy day. Oh, that's exciting. That will be very exciting indeed. Well, Delaney, what other news are you watching for today?
0: Well, also, as we see a transitioning administration, we're seeing uh, President-elect Joe Biden pick more members of his cabinet, including the second-in-command for the USDA. He picked a woman who was the Virginia Ag Commissioner, Jewel Brano. Brana. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce her last name, but she is the first woman of color to hold this position. And I believe, not the first woman to hold this position, but it's been quite some time since we've seen a woman hold Deputy Secretary of Agriculture. So that was going on in the news today. Uh, Not really a market mover, but definitely some news for folks to be aware of.
2: Uh, What else are you watching today, Ashton? Well, we've been seeing more and more companies come into the world of carbon sequestration, carbon credits, and SIBO and People's Company are the latest to come into this market or this industry, whatever you want to call it. They have developed a partnership to offer carbon credits on more than 20,000 acres of land managed by People's, which makes the Iowa-based firm the nation's first land management company to offer carbon credits. SIBO, for those who aren't familiar, like myself, is a technology company that delivers decision-ready insights on all U.S. cropland. Steve Brewer, not sure how to pronounce that name there. Yep, that's it, Brewer. Awesome. I I nailed that one on the first try. But he is uh, the CEO at People's Company and says that long-term benefits of sustainable and regenerative agriculture are evident. And he was actually quoted as saying... What is missing is a way to create immediate new initiatives for sustainable management. As the leading farmland management firm in the US, we are uniquely suited to combine our expertise and research with SIBO Impact to provide carbon credit initiatives or incentives, excuse me. Through the partnership, People's Company has committed to initially enroll over 20,000 managed acres in the SIBO Impact platform creating potentially $400,000 of new revenue for owners and operators in the first year when all credits are verified and sold. Additionally, People's Company and SIBO are working together to create partial incentive prepayments for enrolled land. Under the partnership for the first time, growers and owners will be eligible to receive immediate incentive payments against expected future sales of carbon credits.
0: Well, that is very interesting, Ashton. And actually, People's Company is uh, headquartered here out of Des Moines, Iowa. And I believe they've got their big, I think it's this week, their big land investment expo going on in Des Moines. So I'm sure that they're going to talk about this. Or maybe that's where you pulled this piece of news from, Ashton, is ahead of that conference. They're talking about carbon credits, but it's definitely been kind of a hot button issue for the ag industry. And it seems like one that's not going to go away anytime soon. If if not, you know, become more of a normal
2: practice that folks incorporate into their operations. Yeah, Delaney, that wouldn't be surprising at all. And especially under a democratic administration, I don't know if that has anything to play in how, you know, carbon sequestration and regenerative agriculture and how that will play out. But, you know, it, it wouldn't be a surprise to me if this was just becomes more and more of a topic of discussion. Absolutely. And another item that
0: is going to be a topic of discussion here for the near future is soybean harvest down in Brazil and and Argentina as well. But we did see Brazilian soybean farmers have officially kicked off their harvest. And I mentioned earlier that South America has been having some timely rains, which has been slowing harvest down for South America. But it sounds like it was some much needed rain. You know, we talk about how dangerous sometimes harvest conditions can get up here in the Midwest and across the states as folks maybe don't have enough rain, combines get too hot, you know there's a lot of dust, dry soil, etc. Well, that's definitely going on or was going on in Brazil as well. But so far, they've only harvested about four-tenths of a percent, just under 1% of their cultivated soybean area as of Monday, according to Ag Rural. This also pushed markets a little lower today, seeing some... It's fresh soybeans, again, not a ton, but we are starting to see more crop hit the markets.
2: Well, Delaney, I'm glad that you started talking about things on an international level because I have some news coming from the Philippines. The country is now free of the highly pathogenic H5N6 bird flu virus virus. As of January 8th, the country is now free of that strain, but they're not letting their guard up against the disease because the H5N8 strain, of course, has been running rampant in foreign countries. The Agriculture Department had imposed a temporary ban on the importation of domestic and wild birds and their products from France, South Korea, the Netherlands, and Poland where the H5N8 has been detected. The Philippines is among the world's biggest meat importers and consumers with chicken, pork, and beef, all in mainstay in the Filipino diet. In a report to the OIE, the Bureau of Animal Industry, an agency under the Ag Department, said the affected farms in Pampanga and Rizal had shown no further evidence of the presence of the h5n6 virus however i'm not sure how those bans on those other countries where the h5n8 strain are going as of now but it looks like for now they are still keeping an eye on those countries and of course and really not letting up against the disease all right well
0: i'm glad you're keeping an eye on that one ashton because i have not been keeping a very close eye on it but one thing i was keeping a close eye on for today was the markets what do you say ashton Let's do it, Delaney. All right. Well, as I mentioned, after yesterday's holiday close, we saw markets open up in the overnights, trading lower. And that trend continued into today's day session, kicking things off here in the March corn contract. They were down today for now. Five and a half cents tickles at 5.26. The May down six and a half tickles at 5.28 and a quarter. In the soybean pits, big moves to the downside today as the March contract shed 31 cents tickles at 13.85. The May down 31 and a half tickles at 13.82 and a quarter. Chicago wheat pulling back just slightly today as the March contract shed three. Do- excuse me, three and a quarter cents tickles at 6.72 and a quarter. The May down three tickles at 6.73 and a half. However, we're seeing some strength across other weak complexes. We saw Kansas City today close up just slightly. And so we're seeing some mixed trade there in the wheat complex, but in the cattle complex, pretty much green across the screen. As the February live cattle complex cattle contract added fifty-five cents to close at one thirteen thirty-two. The April up a dollar fifteen to close at one nineteen thirty-five. In the feeder cattle pits, the March contract adding at ninety-seven cents to close at one thirty-six eighty. The April up a dollar thirty to close at one thirty-nine sixty. And in lean hogs, the February contract. Shed a dollar forty five to close at sixty six forty seven. The April down a dollar twenty two to close at seventy one forty two and a half. And drowning out our markets with the class three Dairy Milk Futures. February today down seventy five cents to close at eighteen forty eight. The March down fifty two to close at eighteen fifty two. Without further ado, let's kick it over to our part two with granular insights. Dan, I want to turn this question back to you. Or, Like we said, harvest is in the rearview mirror. Hopefully 2020 is as well, and 2021 goes back to some sort of normalcy. But what are some top lessons that growers should be looking at as they head into 2021?
1: Well, how competitive their yields were compared with county averages. So again, going back to benchmark, look at your yields uh, compared to the county average. And then you probably have some idea on how, how productive your land is compared to general county average. And if there is no way to good, get a good apples to apples comparison, at least find out what the trend in the county average was compared to your trend. So if the county average yield was 5% greater than a year ago for your same county, but your yield wasn't or your yield was 12% better, that gives you some valuable data. Um, how competitive were your yields compared to other producers in your area? And you might say, well, how am I going to know about that? Well, the only thing I would suggest is that whatever you hear in the coffee shop, cut that by about 3% and you'll be close to accurate. (laughs) Uh, Another thing was, how competitive were your returns uh, returns per bushel reflecting your marketing ability? Uh, Because this is data that's actually reported by USDA, um, usually in about February or March, they will calculate average price received by producers, by state. And again, you know, I say, well, okay, there. I thought you said averages don't count. Well, they do because you have to look at if the average price received by producers in the state of Illinois was um, 5% less or, or 6% more than a year ago, compare that to the average price you got. And that's a valuable benchmark to assess how competitive you are in your market risk management. Um, then direct costs, of course, uh, when that data comes out, there's data available on direct costs and indirect costs, uh, fixed costs. How competitive were you? Every single line item, uh, there are benchmarks available for every single line item. And, um, a, a big one when you're looking at a big mistake I see a lot of producers make, still making today is they throw the family labor in for free when they're looking at their cost structure. Well, we don't count. It's all family labor. No, that's not an accurate way of looking at it. You have to put an opportunity cost on family labor and look at the amount, number of man hours per acre because even that data, man hours per acre is, is available in the FinBIN program, for example. Um, and you have to put in at least what in, and that opportunity cost can vary. I mean, maybe your opportunity cost is flipping burgers at McDonald's, but maybe you've, you've got, a a, a teaching degree where you could be teaching, then that's your opportunity cost. Maybe you've got some other skills. Maybe you're an expert welder. And there's welding places, uh, you know, manufacturers that are, you know, paying $30, $40 an hour for expert welders. And you could get one of those jobs. Then that's your opportunity cost, not the minimum wage of flipping burgers at McDonald's. You have to take that into account to measure your true cost of production. Don't throw the family labor in for free.
0: Steve, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Do you factor opportunity cost into the bottom line?
3: You betcha I do. (laughs) <laughs> yeah uh so granulars come out the new feature also that we're when i can put my employees in and i can assign their cost specifically what i pay them per hour and so the, when i assign them a task through their work orders through the granular system on my iphone um they'll record the time they're in that field so it'll, it'll definitely tag that time of their rate back to that 80 acres or what have you so we have the capability of doing it right down to the acre um I was doing it before granular through a spreadsheet, but now I have a more accurate way of doing that. Yeah, it's critical. I'm not going to do this for free. So, uh, uh and I am concerned about labor. I, I'm concerned that uh, my labor force is getting older. Um, I feel like with automation of the tractor and the auger wagons, I feel like I can get by with less in the future, especially my son Casey will enter that arena probably after I'm gone. It's got to become affordable first, but I've got to find a way to make less passes. On my field, and I got to find them. Use less inputs. It's it's not so much about yield. Yeah, I get excited about yield, and that's how I compare myself. But I've got to control my costs. And if I don't know my costs, I cannot control my costs. And it's hard enough when I know my costs to control my costs. So um, as long as I don't, as long as my wife doesn't let me put my family living in granular, I'm good, right? Because I don't know if she can control it. <laughs> uh, scratch that. Edit that out and uh, so yeah um labor's figured
0: and i'm glad you mentioned this automation that we're switching to here because i think that that will come to a point where like you guys are suggesting farmers have to either learn the technology or decide to hire it out themselves so how do you decide if it's a diy do it yourself project or if it's something that you should be Sending out to a third party or a a business to handle for you.
3: You want me to go first, Dan? Sure. Okay. A long time ago I told my wife Robin that my greatest strength is knowing my weaknesses because I can farm that out. No pun intended. So when it comes to chemistry, it's moving too fast for me. I rely heavily on my agronomist, even though I'm a CCA. There's no way I have enough time today to keep up on new products, new technologies. In chemistry, I shouldn't have to. Too many groups to know. I do stay up on hybrids because I feel that's a very important selection process. Hybrid can make or break your probability in a heartbeat. So I need to know those backwards. I will take that responsibility. Um, I do rely on a good financial, uh, a good uh, FBFM guy to give me tax advice. So I choose my strong points for me to do the do it yourself. And then I second, I choose my son's strong points or my brother's strong points. And whatever when I'm, when I'm done, I figure out what there's no one strong at, at our farm, and that's who I get advice from.
1: Uh, I can only echo what Steve just said, that uh, in terms of how do you know whether to just do everything, try to do everything yourself, be the jack of all trades or master of none. And uh, taking the jack of all trades approach might seem... The most economical way, well, I'll, we'll just do every, keep everything in house. But you don't understand and you don't appreciate the losses you may be taking. Talk about opportunity cost of trying to be the jack of all trades and master of none. One of the oldest concepts in good tactical strategic planning, planning is, is called the SWOT analysis. SWOT, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And that's what I hear that Steve is already doing. And you want to acknowledge, you need to know, where am I better than most of the people on these performance benchmarks? And you're going to have some areas where you're better than most, and you need to learn, well, how do I capitalize on that? How to intensify the benefit, you know, but from my high competitive position in that. Uh, and then weaknesses. Okay, where am I weak? Where am I thought I was going to be in the 60th percentile? And here I got all this data that shows that for people in my yield range, I'm only in the 30th percentile. What am I doing wrong? I loved what he said about one of his greatest strengths is knowing the weaknesses. Because what I like to tell my audiences frequently is, is that the beginning of wisdom is knowing what you don't know. And the second is like it. We're often not hurt so much by what we don't know as we are by the things we think we know that just isn't true. And so SWOT analysis is a way to work yourself through that and to see the threats. What are you, opportunities to, for expansion, opportunities to get more efficient through benchmarking, as I've discussed it, and how about threats? Most ag bankers, uh, if, if they're good, when you bring in your cash flow, they'll say, okay, here's your cash flow. Here's what you're projecting. What happens if your yields come in 5% short of what you've put in there? What happens if the market average market price is 5% below what you put in there and see the reaction to that? Because the answers to those questions will key the sense of urgency that you have on shrewd risk management to guard against that adverse surprise.
0: On our farm, too, my dad always taught us that if your time, your opportunity cost of what it would, if you were going to pay yourself a wage, if it took more time and money for you to do it yourself than it would for you to hire it out to somebody else, that was always a clear-cut answer that. Hey, maybe we should have the accountant manage the books and not here, uh, here on the farm doing it ourselves.
1: But. My dad was very much like that because of one of my favorite sayings from my dad, I, I love the guy dearly, he's, he's 91, but still has a quick wit about him, is uh, he was a perfectionist. Anything my brother and I were asked to do on the farm, it had better be done right. And frequently, we'd get like if we were putting in fence and all the fence posts didn't quite line up. Because we hit a rock or we hit a tree root or something, dad would sight down those fence posts and we would just say, We we just didn't have time, <laughs> you know, to, to get all the fence posts in a row. And my dad's favorite expression was, How come there's never enough time to do it right, but always enough time to do it over? Yeah. <laughs> do it over.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. That's a great story, Dan. Well, as we wrap things up for today, I wanted to ask you guys each some takeaways if you know you had to pick a laundry list a small laundry list of takeaways or messages for
2: our folks listening and tuning in with us today and what would you be telling folks right now as they're looking to 2021
1: well uh one of the first ones that comes to mind is to to be real honest with oneself and ask yourself uh am i in a rut (laughs) on how i manage from year to year and uh if I were to ask a producer that question and even say, well, how do I know if I'm in a rut? Here's what my answer would be as an ag economist. You are in a rut if the only answer I can give you is, well, why do you do this? Why, why is this your management formula? Because that's the way we've always done it. I mean, that's like a parent scolding a teenager for what they're trying to planning to wear at school that day. Well, why, why would you go dress like that? Well, that's what all the other kids are doing. It's almost that unusual. If, you, if that's your answer, is that's the way we've always done it, and I, I just know that's best, then I would challenge them as an ag economist, and I'd say, okay, you say you just know that's best. Why? Where's your data? Where's your benchmark comparisons? You can't improve in what you fail to measure. And I picked that up from Steve's remarks as well. I mean, that goes, goes way back to Edwards Deming, who turned, performed the Japanese miracle. I mean, when I was growing up, made in Japan was an insult. It, meant it, it broke easily. And, and Deming went over there, and he taught the Japanese how to build world-class cars with his mantra, was you can't improve in anything that you fail to measure. So that's one of the important takeaways that I hope folks get from this time we're spending together.
0: That's fantastic. Steve, what about you? And, you know, not only maybe what messages do you have, but what's next for you here in 2020, heading into 2021?
3: Oh, huh. what's next right now? I'm just uh, going over my data, seeing what fields were profitable, where I can change some things. Right now, it's about hybrid selection, where, you know, the seed companies want our orders earlier and earlier before we even have data. So I'm trying to go through that, um, catching up on my data uh, to see what I need to be purchasing and where I need to be purchasing it. There's some, there's some deals. Interest rates are low. That's good for equipment reasons. Um, back to the rut that Dan was talking about. You know, you can define the rut as uh tradition also. I mean, there's tradition. Uh, you can define it as check in the box um, because there's a lot of check in the box and it's human nature to do that. And I just think you have to challenge your human nature to actually put the effort into what can I do better. There's a lot of things we cannot control. And it's just simple as that in farming. You just cannot control a lot of policy at the government level. You can't control the weather. You can't. So whatever you can control, you really need to dive into that, and you actually need to put a number to the thought. And so uh, I got to the point even before granular. I was I would have the guys fuel up tractors after they chiseled an eighty. So I want to know how many gallons it took for that eighty. I want to figure out how much it is versus disking. So we have for each operation. It's in granular now. Uh, I assign fuel usage to operations. And so through their activity analyzer, I see how many trips I made across that 80 acres. And until you see the numbers, you'd be surprised how many times you go over 80 acres in a year. It's scary. And so I know I needed to reduce that because of the fuel usage, but mainly because of labor costs. Um, I've got to figure out a way to control what I can better. I I just, we always worry about what we can't control. We talk about the same things every year, weather, markets, the government, those things I really can't. I can't do anything about, so I'm trying to overcome my human nature and actually focus on things I can't
1: control. Another thing that I would add um, in terms of takeaways is those uh, folks who are still tempted to be just the jack of all trades or just assume, well, I'm good at some stuff and I'm at least average in everything else, so I'm fine. Uh, there's an old economist joke that usually at our expense about a couple of economists that went out pheasant hunting. A pheasant flew up, one shot 10 feet too high, one shot 10 feet too low. And one company, I, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I always, I never lead the pheasant enough. And the other one says, well, I always lead the pheasant too much. And one economist looks at the other and says, you know what that means? That means on the average, that pheasant is dead. That's how useful averages are at some point. And the other thing is to get around the idea that hiring outside consultants, third-party consultants, where you've done your SWOT analysis, you know your strengths, but you also know your weaknesses. And you have to uh, say, well, what's the opportunity cost for me in shoring up my weaknesses personally, perhaps at the expense of some of my strengths, of capitalizing on my strengths, when I could just hire it out, hire somebody who's better at me. Do not see hiring consultants as a sign of of weakness as a manager. See yourself as an executive, as a CEO. And it's not the CEO's job to be expert at every element on the production line. It's the CEO's job is to make sure he's got the best talent deployed as possible at every element of that production. To to see recognizing uh, weaknesses and hiring expertise not as a sign of weakness or failure on your part, but as a sign of strength and shrewdness on your part as a CEO of your farming operation.
0: And I think that you're hitting the nail on the head, Dan, because the the end of the day, you need to think about your farm like it's a business because it is a business. It's no different than Google or Facebook or Walmart or any of the other publicly traded companies out there. At the mm-hmm. end of the day, you're still in the same pool as the rest of those folks. I I really appreciate both of you gentlemen coming on. You've got had some great points today. And Steve, Dan, thank you both so much for joining us today.
3: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Just a few more quick housekeeping items before we wrap up for today. Thank you all for tuning in. And for those of you that might have questions for Steve or Dan, you can be sure to email those info at granular.ag if you've had any follow-up questions from what we've talked about today, or if you just have questions about this granular insights tool that Steve has mentioned so much about today, you can be sure to check it out at granular.ag. It is a free and easy to use platform. As Steve mentioned, it's been great for him to use on his operation. And if you just want to check it out and see what it's all about, be sure to find it at granular.ag. And last, I want to leave you with just a little tidbit here. We've been talking about a lot of high-level things. Dan's been talking about some fantastic ideas, benchmarking, and other ideas. And while that might seem a little difficult to think about how to implement that in your operation, it's those tidbits that Dan shared with us today, as well as Steve, that are how we can keep moving forward in our business, combining Dan's insights with those insights that granular insights provides. So Dan, Steve, again, thank you so much for joining and thank you all for tuning in with us today.
2: Thanks again to Granular for coming on. And I I guess really not coming on, Delaney, you did that panel with them some time ago, but it's still interesting to learn about, you know, Granular and Granular Insights and where that platform is going
0: absolutely there's a ton of exciting technology coming for agriculture and a lot of exciting cool technology that's already out there that we've covered on past episodes so be sure to check out any of our past tech tuesday episodes at agnewsdaily.com or interact with us on facebook twitter and instagram at agnewsdaily ashton with that should we let the people go let's let them go